Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, guys, welcome back to The Tragedy of Cinema, episode number 23, where we'll be discussing A Nightmare on Elm Street. Back I'm, to horror, we've swung around. Well, it's kind <laughs> of like our first horror movie because... That's true, yeah. Hitchcock was kind of a thriller. Yeah, psycho, some people so. consider it a horror. Right. So I'm your host, Jimbo, along with my co-host... Terrence. Yep, Terrence is back. No special guest this episode, so here we go. Terrence. All question, right. Question of the question, day. Yeah, you thought it. you was going to get away with it, did you? <laughs> the question I have for you today is, give me your top three, or who do you think the top three horror icons are of all time? Horror icons. Icons. Oof. Okay. Uh, I'm talking strictly go. characters, not. No, no, of this. course, of course. Okay. Um, I'm going to start off with Frankenstein's monster. Uh, just because that's. There's so many iterations of it. It's, it's He's very iconic. Um, 
and I, I think that's like a timeless monster that you'll always see no matter what and there'll always be movies of him uh, and different variations of exactly him. I think the most recent one that I've seen personally is in Penny Dreadful right uh, which was a really cool rendition of Frankenstein and his monster uh, and second I would have to say let's go with Jason actually just because Jason is another uh, of like sort of modern horror uh, he would be he has, I think, the most movies. He has a lot of movies, basically. And I, I think there will always be Jason movies. Uh, I think just, was it last year that there was a new Jason movie, or was that this year? Mm, I, lose track I think it's been a couple, a couple years been? ago. Yeah. Okay. All I know is you know, that there has been a recent rendition of Jason. Um, and I feel like there always will be. Uh, and everybody, when you make the shh, 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 everybody knows what you're talking about, right? Um, so that would be number two. And number three... For iconic horror, let's go with. Think of a third one. Well, I'm I'm gonna have to throw in Dracula. Yeah, just because, that's a good one. Because yeah. I think he might be number one, just because of all the films that have come out with him since the original. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have Nosferatu. Yep. You have you know Dracula. You have Bram Stoker's Dracula. You have yep. Dracula eighty. You have Dracula what twenty twenty or whatever they the, came out. The story of Dracula, right. which was, that was so fun. There's just so many versions of him. I think you and know. He even appears in other lore, like like Van Helsing. Right. He appears in. Well, so is Frankenstein's monster too. That's so, true. Yeah. So I, I think with the uh, when you think iconic uh, horror characters. To me, I'm always going back to the Universal Monsters. Absolutely. Uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, you know, uh, Mummy. Yeah. The Creature well, from I the think, Black Lagoon, which is probably one of my favorites. I think some of those, um, it's been a while since they've made a reappearance. And if you talk to certain people, they won't know, won't know what you're talking about. Like, right. I know what you're talking about when you talk about Universal Monsters. But if I take, like, let's say, like... A kid right now, and like like some maybe random millennial. Yeah, actually, it would be um, Gen Z. Like millennials should know. Maybe the younger ones won't, and they should. Kyle, but, you uh, listening? <laughs> no, but Kyle's Kyle knows. I think he's I've, only like was he like two years younger than me? He's like twenty four, yeah. twenty five. But uh, I know he knows what we're talking about yeah. because he has them on his phone. I've seen them. So nice. Um, but I feel like if you took like like anyone from the the last generation, then the, you, definitely not kids, but like like teenagers or something like, like you took a teenager now and be like, hey, do you know who Universal's monsters are? They'd be like, I have no idea. But if you'd be like, you know who Jason is, right? Yeah, they probably know who right. Jason is. Which is uh, another reason why coming this October, we're planning on to do around the the whole month of October the Universal monster stories, uh, plus a regular episode each week. So that way you're getting, you know, the iconic monsters of yesteryear to yep. introduce them to a new generation. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into this episode of Nightmare on Elm Street. Terrence, All take right, her let's away. let's do this. So Nightmare on Elm Street, its release date was November 16th, 1984. It had a budget of $1.8 million, estimated. Uh, its gross in the USA was $25.5 million. It's a lot of money for a whore, if you Especially ask Especially in 1984. Absolutely, yes. Uh, its director was Res Craven. Uh, he's done a handful of I have, It's been a while since I've seen his name. I completely forgot. For well, a he moment. just died last year, the year That's before. That's true, remember, so. yeah. Um, technological specs. Its runtime is an hour and 31 minutes with sound mix mono, uh, full color. Aspect ratio is 1.85 by 1, and it's camera uh, Aeroflex 35BL2 and Aeroflex 35.3. Uh, it's laboratory. This was edited in Precision Labs in New York here you know usa right (laughs) (laughs) um film length 2502 meters uh its negative format was 35 millimeters uh cinemagraphic process spherical 
printed film format is 35 millimeters. And now for the fun part, the awards. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to start off with the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Film 2007. Did you ever find out if that still goes on? Because I'd like to watch them. You know what? I need to look into that and then probably actually – because we've seen this – particular but awards it's kinda, set. But it kind of like stops like 2007, 2009. I haven't seen anything. That's true. You know but I mean? then again, we're only looking at older movies. True. And so they probably only dig up from older movies for a certain time. Like I'm pretty sure if you looked up like some early 2000s, they might appear today if this award series is still around. Uh, so we'll have to look into that. Uh, so Yeah, but that was in 2007. Yes, this was 2007. So... And it's an older movie. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So I don't no, know. I get you. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll look into that. Uh, so they were nominated for the Saturn Award of Best DVD Classical Film Release. Uh, that would be, yeah, so the release of just this movie. I'm surprised it's not in a set because everything else we've seen before sure was released in right. a set, right? Um, then we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, 1985. Uh, they were nominated for Best Horror Film, uh, and they were also nominated, or yes, for Best Performance by a Younger Actor, uh, Zoo Garcia. How do you say that first name? I don't know. I got it in my, I got it in my notes. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to say how Terrence says it before I go. Maybe J. Sue? Like, I, I feel like the J might be silent. Right. Uh, I mean, Zoo maybe. Garcia? Anyway. Um, then we have the... Arvarizo Fantastic Film Festival, 1985. Uh, winner, Critics Award, Wes Craven. Winner, Special Mention, uh, Heather uh, Lagenkamp for Acting. Then, uh, Young Artist Award, 1985. Uh, they were nominated for Young Artist Award, the Best Young Actress in Motion Picture, Musical Comedy Adventure or Drama, Heather Landen- uh, Langenkamp. Got myself all tongue-tied here. You know what? Uh, <laughs> have we not seen the uh, the schmooze? The schmooze didn't make no it. No schmooze for this one. No schmooze. Um, and then finally, we have uh, nominated for Best Young Artist Award, Best Young Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, once again, Music, Comedy, Adventure, or Drama, Johnny Depp. And so if looking through this, they only won uh, the awards within the um, Avrias fantastic film festival everything else was just nominations right which is interesting because like you talk to anybody who's who's a horror connoisseur right and nine times out of ten they've seen this movie they enjoyed this movie uh but it didn't win anything but you gotta remember this came out in 1984 and by this time i know there was at least three friday the 13th already out they might have mm. even started their fourth one this year yeah so i don't know if maybe it was over oversaturated overloaded with the horror yeah, genre in the movies. When was the first Halloween? Uh, I want to say 78, 78 so then somewhere there, might, there might have even been another Halloween movie. Well, at least, time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can see how it made oversaturation of like horror movies because I know like the the eighties was that uh, prime Slasher. time for like not sla- like just slashers, action films that were just it's like over the top. Um, you know, super, like, just ridiculously gory. Right. Uh, well, speaking of that, um, you know how it was always uh, slasher films and all that. But yeah. um, I seen a thing for American Horror Story this year. It's AHS84. And the really? preview is them going to a camp. And you see, oh, I was like, man. it's, it's going to be one of the shows where yeah. it's just a slasher fest. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It's going to be brutal. All right, so that is the award. So I, I guess now talking about it, it's not surprising that 
they only won sort of like one right. award because there's a lot going on, right? Well, I don't even know if we haven't got to them yet, so I don't even know if Halloween and Friday the 13th or any of them won either. That's true. Well, like so. I said, it, it was in a time of a lot of things that were over the top and stuff. Right. Um, and that was also when uh, Hollywood really started picking up. Well, do you want you want my honest opinion right here? Yeah. I don't think it was that good of a movie. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Just because for the fact I just got done watching it again. Yeah. And the Freddy that you see in this movie the horror icon in this movie yeah. is not the Freddy that appears in the sequel. That's true. Because he's not his cheeky, you know, witty self. That's true. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of screen time. He doesn't have a lot of speaking parts in this. And starting in Freddy's Revenge, I think, episode two, yeah. is where he becomes that cheeky, you know, ha-ha, pulling yeah, jokes exactly, all that. Yeah. So I think for me that was a little bit of a letdown after seeing the other movies too, you know what I mean? So oh, we'll, we'll, yeah. get, we'll, get that that. we'll get to course, that. We'll get to that. All right, so now the synopsis. The spirit of a slain janitor. <laughs> Let me just start that over. <laughs> All right. The spirit of a slain janitor who wears a green and red sweater, a fedora, and a glove with blades on the fingers wreaks havoc on a group of teenagers during their dreams whose parents are the ones that kill them. Bum, bum, bum. So <laughs> we'll go ahead and jump into the cast. Yeah. You had uh, John Saxon play Lieutenant Thompson. Uh, Ronnie Blakely played Marge Thompson, Heather Langenkamp, uh, Nancy Thompson, Jesu Garcia played Ron <laughs> Lane, sorry, Sue or Jesu, uh, it's JSU Garcia, so if we mispronounce wrong, we're sorry. Sue. Amanda Weiss played Tina Gray, Johnny Depp, in his first role, played Glenn Lance. Was this his first role? It was his first role. Oh, snap. Uh, Charles Fleischer played Dr. King. Joseph Whip, Sergeant Parker, Robert England as Fred Krueger. And a little interesting fact before we get too further, this is the only movie that he's known as Fred, as billed as Fred Krueger, not Freddy Krueger. Mm. Uh, Lynn Shea was the teacher. Joe Unger, Sergeant Garcia. Mimi Craven, which was Wes Craven's uh, wife at the time, yeah. played the nurse. Jack Shea played the minister, Ed Call played Mr. Lance, and Sandy Lipton as Mrs. Lance. So I'm going to go ahead and say that besides for Johnny Depp and... Uh, Robert England, maybe? Not even... who. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to know what he was in, but I really don't recognize any of the actor names. Nope. At all. Like, I don't know And, and you wouldn't even know since. Johnny Depp if you didn't know for everything that he's done since. You exactly, know I mean? yeah. So, so I just think, think that's very interesting that, like, hard... If, this was anybody's first role besides Johnny Depp. I feel like they really didn't. Well, John Saxon, the chief. I've seen him in something, but I yeah. can't. Yeah, maybe smaller roles in smaller movies, but nothing big, right? Because right. I don't recognize anything. So I went ahead and went out on a limb here, and we went ahead and I wanted to talk about uh, the biography. I chose Wes Craven. All right, just yeah. because you know you got to give props to the directors every once in a while. Of course. So he was born August second, nineteen thirty nine, in Cleveland, Ohio. And he died August 30th, 2015. So it's been several years ago now. Okay, yeah. It just seems like time flies, man. It really does. Uh, he died at 76 in Los Angeles, California. He's known for his Nightmare on Elm Street movies as well as his Scream movies and many others. He has an ongoing joke uh, feud with Sam Raimi in their movies. Huh. The Elm Street location was located in Post Dam, New York, a small town just south of the Canadian border. Craven was a humanities professor at Clarkson College, also in Postam. Huh. Rumored to have his named, uh, rumored to have named his on-screen horror creation Freddy Krueger for a boy who used to bully him in high school. That, <laughs> I was like, how would you like funny. to be that guy? I want some royalties. <laughs> I know, right? 
He was set to direct Superman 4, really? The Quest for Peace, in 1987, but was replaced after creative differences with star Christopher Reeve. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I mean, that that's actually pretty big to change a whole director because your main build actor. actor does not like the creative decisions. But it w- I guess it wouldn't be the first time that there were changes made because the actor didn't like the direction the character was going. Right. Now, nine times out of ten, usually they replace the actor. Um, but at that point, he was submitted as Superman. Everybody knows Christopher Reeves is Superman. so it's Always like, will be Superman. Exactly, okay. right? So, um, you know, they had to change the director. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Freddy Krueger's appearance, uh, especially the dirty clothes and his hat, was inspired by a hobo who Craven saw staring at him through his window one day when he was age 10. Oh, wow. And here's some really stuck in his memory. Right. It scared him. Uh, here's some uh, quotes from him. Horror films don't create fear. They release it. Interesting. Uh, and I like to address the fears of my culture. I believe it's good to face the enemy, for the enemy is fear. If I were interested in reality, I'd be making documentaries. <laughs> hey, he has a point. Yeah, right. And the horrors of retirement. These are scarier than any movie I could dream up. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, something. You know, it's it's interesting how um, there are people who just are are made to always work, and they're like, I don't know what I'll do after retire. There's a guy I work with. Um, I don't. He's in his like late sixties, and he's like, I'm set to retire soon, but I think I just might keep working because I don't know what I'll do. Right. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people do that. They just keep working because what else are they going to do? Yeah. And. I read a statistic one time that once you retire, yeah. that your life expectancy is only like six months to a year after that because you're so used to getting up, going and going and going and doing all these things that you don't have a schedule to do anything. So you just... I'll just be on more podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be sleeping. So, um, so I went ahead and these are actors that tried out for casting roles that didn't get the part. So for the role of Nancy Thompson, who is our main heroine of this story, Jennifer Grey. Okay. Demi Moore, huh. Courtney Cox, Tracy Gold, and Claudia Wells. So there's some some names I recognize. Right. <laughs> For the role of Glenn, Charlie Sheen. He was actually huh. he was actually really concerned for it, but he wanted more money than they were. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland. Nicholas Cage and C. Thomas Howell. <laughs> I feel like anything with Nicholas. Like I think this would be a movie for Nicholas Cage to be I in. I think he could play Freddy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, the role for Rod, Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Sweep the leg, kids. Uh, and Darren Dalton. And then Freddy. Um, before they cast Robert England or whatever, uh, Craven wanted to use several. Tried several stuntmen, but he realized he needed an actor. But the first time you see Freddy. It is actually the special effects man, Charles Bacardinacea, because he was the only one that knew how to put the glove on and insert the, the blades of the glove. Oh, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And then also played in the movie by the special effects designer, Jim Doyle, for the coming through the wall above Nancy's bed. You remember where it oh, stretches yeah, through? Yeah. It's actually the stuntman, or special designer effect, Jim huh. Doyle. So I thought that was interesting that... So here's a question, though. Okay, so so as far as the the people who tried out for it, you you think it would have been a better movie had they built these better actors? Well, but then again, they weren't really better actors back then. That's that's a lot of them. That's their first, you know, that I can think of. Yeah, like like Courtney Cox, she really doesn't pop into my head till Friends and Scream. Yeah, Um, Jennifer Grey, she was in a couple of those '80s movies, but I think they were later on. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. So. 
it's always hard to say what it would have been if it was yeah. somebody else. In but the I think movie. this one's more interesting just because it. I didn't. mean, Charlie Sheen as Rob. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Um, it just depends. Uh, based upon. I just what, thought that was an interesting thought. With well, this Demi one Moore. more than the other ones, because obviously the other movies are big hits that won a bunch of awards and stuff. But, like, this one is, you know, a hit and miss with a lot of people. So I was just wondering, like, I wonder if a different build cast would have changed anything or is just the way it's written, it's always going to be what it was. Kind well, of I think the only thing I think it would have changed, let's say they cast. Demi Moore as Nancy and yeah. they cast Charlie Sheen as uh, her boyfriend or whatever in this yeah. movie. I think the only thing that would have changed would have been in future generations or later on when once they had their acting career to a certain point. Uh, yeah. Then it would have been back as nostalgia like Johnny Depp. Okay. You yeah. know, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You can go back like people today that have seen Pirates of the Caribbean and you know all those uh, Secret Window or whatever. Yeah. You know, they see those, or Willy Wonka, whatever he did, you know, yeah. Charlie, that was terrible. But, you know, you go, you watch those, and you go, oh, I wonder what his first movie was, or they start going back and they get to this, you and know what I mean? The, yeah. So, that's my, that's my take on it. So, we're going to go ahead and talk about a um, couple of little special things in here. This was, of course, the film debut of Johnny Depp. Um, it cost $1.8 million to produce, but it made it back in its opening weekend. Nice. Yep. Um, the movie sets are, are have we have come to find out are in the is set in the same universe as Friday the Thirteenth, a la a la Freddy versus Jason eventually. Oh, that's dead. true. Yeah, but right. we don't want to talk about that. They could have yeah. done so good with that. But yeah, it, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> it was shot in only thirty days. There was over five hundred gallons of fake blood used. I will say the thirty days that's quite the feat for a full full length feature film to do all what it did. To do that in 30 days. That's pretty pretty legit. Right. It's on, of course, the 1001 movies to see before you die, as most movies are okay, we cover. Yeah. It was number 17 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments as of 2004. Hmm. Freddy Krueger came in at number 40 on the Heroes and Villains list. It was uh, number 11 on Entertainment Weekly's 25 Scariest Movie of All Time. Really? Right. Um, also... Like we said, this is based on a real-life story. Um, Wes Craven had read an article about, um, I want to say it was uh, uh, Suriname uh, children who had been kept up all night. And they were afraid to go to sleep because they said, we're going to die, we're going to die. Well, they're like, you're not going to die. So this one kid stayed up for a certain amount of time, and they finally got him to go to sleep. Well, he woke up screaming, and he died. Oh, yeah. So it, this this is based on a true story that he had read and clipped out the articles. Huh. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw in this uh, interview for uh, with uh, Wes Craven. I'm going to put it right here so we can get a little feel of where Wes was going with this movie and some of the stuff he talks about. So we'll put it in right here. Well, yeah, I have a very sort of ambivalent view of myself as um, as an artist or as a filmmaker. I mean. Somebody once, when I was first starting in films in New York, says, if you want something on your gravestone in, your, in the film business, I think the best thing is filmmaker. If you can honestly say that, that's all you need to say. And that's, uh, that I think would, I would like that on my gravestone, along with whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Um, beyond that, I, I don't think it's possible to, or, or advisable, or even smart to call yourself an artist or talk about yourself as an artist. I mean... Uh, First of all, the, the, it's a business, and uh, to forget that or ignore it or act like it's not there is 
he's just idiotic. Um, and secondly, it's 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 very difficult to know what will later be judged as art. I, I guess what I've tried to do is I've tried to make movies where I can honestly say I haven't seen that before, and to follow um, my deepest intuitions and. Uh, in some cases, literally my dreams, um, so that I don't feel like I'm copying something that's come before me. And uh, to try to do things that, uh, you know, speak to sort of the, the areas outside the fences, you know, the, where the wild animals are, are still. Because I, it seems to me that the things that move us historically, both personally and nationally, are those things, those things that aren't on the grid of rationality. It's funny, you know, having traveled now in a lot of third world countries, and I just came back from Africa, it's like you see that every civilization has its own grid of what it thinks reality is and what uh, is proper behavior and uh, what is civilized. And usually what happens is that sooner or later that grid is shattered and, uh, you know, something like World War II happens or you wipe out the Native American population or, you know, Spain invades South America and decimates virtually every living creature there and takes over. You know, and then suddenly it's the grid is back and we're civilized and we're religious and we're this and that. But um, there seems to be a deeper grid that I've tried to find and that is how how the engine of life really works. And I think it... It works a lot off of violence, like it or not, and it works off a lot off of um, things that are not rational and very difficult to perceive and in some ways can only be sort of a dumbrated, a, a sort of sketched and shadow played in, in films and in uh, horror films. And it's not something I'm terribly happy about. I wish, I wish the world did run so there weren't uh, Bosnias and there weren't... Uh, Rondas and they weren't uh, Selmas, and but it, that seems to be the way it goes about its business at significant times. And uh, to try to capture that in symbols on film and uh, to sometimes succeed, I think is uh, is very exciting and gratifying. Beyond that, I have no idea whether anything I've done is of any significance or not. You know, it's like uh, it's like the end of Casablanca in a way. You know, we. Probably most of what we do doesn't amount to a hill of beans, um, but it's been fun. It's been fun to be in the uh, in the business and to survive. It's been fun to sit in the back of audiences and watch them scream and jump and laugh. Um, it's always gratifying to see how smart the audiences are, because quite often my audiences are the outcasts. You know, the kids with the long hair and and blacks and Hispanics and uh, people that society thinks you know uh, discounts. And they're quite often the, the absolute quickest to grasp what I'm doing, much faster than the civilized critics and people that supposedly are supposed to have heads on their shoulders. So that's a good, that's a good sign for civilization. I think ultimately the great civilization, which is whatever will allow us to survive, is that uh, you know in the streets, in the uh, theaters of the most popular movies, are very, very smart people, um, smart kids. And uh, that's encouraging. All right, so you can see uh, from the words of his, his own mouth. Um, there was also, uh, he tried to sell the script to a major studio, but no one wanted it. 
nobody wanted it. That's interesting, yeah. But also, here's some, here's an interesting fact. Wes Craven helped Sean Cunningham work a few shots on Friday the 13th. He, uh, Sean Cunningham returned this favor to him at the end of this movie. He did a little few shots for him. So that's just oh, a little, okay. yeah, a little something cool. here. So I figured we'd talk about a little bit about different scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we'll, we're going to talk about the Elm Street house. Then we're going to talk about Freddy himself. Then we're going to talk about the famous glove. Okay, So yeah. that's how we're going to break this down. Um, let me double-check double something real quick. Okay, then we'll put that in at the end. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about the Elm, Elm Street house first and foremost. Jump into it. Elm Street is never said in the movie. Good point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not. You know what I mean? So uh, the actual house used in this is in Los Angeles. The number is 1428 has been stolen and never returned. That was on the house. Yeah. Um, the homeowner of today is really sad about that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, she was of like, course. man, she can't get over it. Uh, the house door is blue in this movie. All the other sequels, the door is red. Interesting. And that might even uh, be for like symbolism purposes. Uh, I do know, at least in its subsequent sequels, that uh, they did use color to sort of portray different things. As like, you know, a lot of uh, right. horror movies do. They use, you know, color or background items to sort of um, portray different things or uh, to say kind of background show that certain things are happening. So I, I think that might just have been a creative decision. Uh, this was actually, uh, Elm Street was actually named after a city, uh, uh, Elm, the Elm Street in Wheaton, Illinois, where Wes Craven went to college. Interesting. So I like how directors sometimes, they take stuff from their past and yeah. they intertwine it. Maybe it's like a class they taught or it's a class they were in or it's a uh, maybe a home address they used when yeah. they were really young and all that. And well, it's like in, um, and this is, this is a far cry from, from like the type of movie we're talking about, but in all of uh, Pixar movies, they have the... It was like a number. Right, was, right, right, right. And that number is from the animation studio that a lot of these animators graduated right. from. And, and they sneak it in there just like... All in, the time. Right. Um, there's the famous staircase scene. If you remember the staircase scene where she's running up the yep. stairs and her feet is like getting yeah. stuck. It was actually made of Bisquick pancake mix. Oh. Although Wes Craven said it was made of oatmeal and glue. So... But the Nancy said it was made of Bisquick or the pancake mix. So, Interesting. Yeah. So that's two entirely different things that are, are being claimed right so to, either way it's still going to be gross going through that yeah story. i know it right? still worked in the movie um if you remember the fire scene where freddie um nancy's you know trying to trap him and then yeah. Fre- she sets him on she goes down the thing she squirts the gasoline on him she throws the fire on him yeah and then she runs upstairs and freddie's running after her and then she shuts the door on him he falls down the stairs and then he starts going back up again yeah that was all shot in one take really they had multiple okay. camera angles and they shot it. And actually, the stuntman, Anthony Sassidi, won the best stunt of the year for that. That's actually, yeah. And it was all done in one take. That's just, I, I always appreciate uh, sort of like takes that are longer than like a couple seconds that they all did in one take. So that's like a decently, length, else a decent length scene right. that uh, was filmed in one take, which right. I, I always appreciate, especially with the stunt like that. There right? was a, there was, I think it was in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte that where she falls down the stairs, it was filmed the same way. Remember they had it at multiple yep. camera angles. So also the bathtub scene, if you remember where she's laying in the bathtub and oh, you know, yeah. Freddie's glove comes out glove and comes then out. Yeah. she's like, mom, she's like, don't fall asleep in there, Nancy or whatever. And yeah. Next thing you know, she's like, ah. <laughs> you see her get yanked under the water. Yep. That was done by having the bathtub seam in the bathroom over in a swimming pool. Oh. It was actually a swimming pool. So when she got yanked under, it was actually a swimming pool. So okay. I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah, that's too. pretty awesome. So, um, Just little little tricks of the trade. Oh, yeah. Special effects-wise, that's always fun. <laughs> um, 
the boiler room scene, it was shot in the basement of the Lincoln Heist Jail in Los Angeles, which was condemned shortly after production. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Nancy's boyfriend at the time of the shooting is created with writing the Freddy nursery rhyme where the girls are jumping around. Oh, you know, yeah, the one, yeah. two, Freddy's coming for you. Okay, so funny story about that. Um, today, while I was at work, there was a blackout. for like an, So like for like an hour, we're just working in the dark. And uh, I'm just throwing out, like, cheeky lines from a bunch of different movies. And one of those things was um, I walked up on a buddy and I just start, like, singing that song. Just, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And, and there's like, like, what are you doing? No. Then he chimed in. And then there's, like, two of us singing that song. <laughs> We're just a recorder, man. We could have plugged that right in. Oh, I know, right? So, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. But also, the little, girls that, the little girl that is jumping the rope, yeah. she is actually the daughter of the family whose house was used for Tina's house or whatever. So. Oh. That's cool. I thought that was pretty cool that they yeah. threw her in there. Um, <laughs> one thing that I found that was funny is, you remember where Nancy gets the call on the phone and he, Freddie's like, I'm your boyfriend now. Oh, and his yeah. tongue comes out. <laughs> <laughs> she actually asked to keep that prop. Out of all things, she has to keep the tongue prop. That's funny. We're not going to read into that, but uh, they thought it was weird that she asked for that. I mean, it might be just because it's hilarious. Right. Um, also, one of the things is uh, Jacques Hotkin, who was a... Uh, filming it yeah he wore an eye patch over his other eye so the only thing that he caught was through his camera lens so he didn't get distracted by things going on around him okay yeah and i, I thought that, that was really good really really interesting uh, amanda weiss who played tina <laughs> she was passing out candy with her mom one day at a house for halloween yeah and uh she noticed there was an absurd amount of kids coming up you know in freddy costume and she's like oh you know i was I was Tina in that movie. They're like, yeah, right. They didn't believe uh, her. I was like, oh, that hurts. Right. <laughs> right. So let's go ahead and talk about, let's see here. Let me flip this over. All right. We're going to talk about the Freddy himself, Mr. Robert England. So um, I'm going to play this video right here. This is actually how he says he turns himself into Freddy. Do you like your movies? Yeah, I do. I'm really proud of part three. I mean, I had some problems with the middle of part two. I thought it bogged down. I like the beginning and the end of part two a lot. I think part one is a minor classic already. And yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's a need for these movies. There's sort you know what? there's something that what the kids need? can yeah I, there's something the kids can call their own. Don't you remember? Come on, remember <laughs> back to your old Reeboks, what you liked when you were 15. Yeah, Come but on. not scary stuff. I I hate to say this, Freddie, but I can't go and see your movies. I am too afraid. I, that's all right. You know, there's movies, there's all sorts of movies we all don't see. I'm not a big fan of watching Joe Clayburgh take Valium, you know, but there's obviously an audience for that movie, too. This is a movie for someone else. Yo, I like the world of Henry Orient. I love the world of Henry Orient. I love that movie. Peter Sellers. Oh. How do you get ready to be Freddy? Ready to be Freddy. Oh, boy, she can turn a phrase. Well, <laughs> I tell you, I sit in a chair, and Kevin Yeager, who is the handsomest makeup man in the world, uh, does my makeup for like four hours, and we drink a lot of coffee, and we talk, and I get more and more ornery as they put more and more glue on me, and in about four hours, there's nothing left of Robert England. It's just this cantankerous cuss named Fred Kroger. But how do you even look in the mirror? I mean, doesn't that frighten you? Because all I've seen of you is like a television promo for Nightmare on Elm Street. I've never forgotten it. I've seen that face once and it's burned in my memory. Burned. Good choice of words, Val, because that's what, just what happened to Fred. Uh, he's disfigured from the vigilante parents that burned him to death. Remember, two wrongs don't make a right. And, uh, yeah, it's ugly. I, I've told this story before, but for anyone that hasn't heard it, I fell asleep in my honey wagon, my dressing room, 
in the making of part one. And, you know, most movies are worried about losing the light. We were worried about getting the light because we shoot at night. And uh, the dawn was coming up, Hour of the Wolf, whatever that time is, just before, before sunrise. And the AD banged on the door of my honey wagon. And I had the lights off, and I, I sat up and looked in the mirror, and I'd forgotten that I was in the makeup. And I had morning mouth, you know, <laughs> and everything else. And I was sort of like half asleep, and there was this bald little man looking back at me. It seared itself into my brain, that image. Yeah, I, I've scared myself. So, like I said earlier, Freddie himself, he only has under seven minutes of screen time. Yeah, in this entire f- movie. Which is pretty crazy. It's crazy. You know, because <laughs> a lot of shots he's synony- are he's, synonymous you know, with the movie You think itself. of Nightmare on Elm Street, you think Freddie Krueger. You think Kruger. of his face. But right. like, then you, you really look in, like you were saying, you rewatch the first movie, and then you realize that a lot of scenes, it'll be like his hand or something the else. Glove. The right. glove, right? But you never actually see all of them except for those seven minutes Well, what I'm saying, even of. when you do see like the hand in the water in the bathtub or... Um, when Nancy's rolling around in the boiler room, you just yeah. see like a, a click and he's gone. So that's like yeah. two seconds. And then you see his glove in another scene. That's two yeah. seconds. You know what I mean? So all that adds up. So um, it was originally set to be a child molester in this movie, but it, in the original script, but yeah. it was changed to child killer because of the. Um, they didn't want him to, you know, they didn't yeah. want to promote that, especially in Los Angeles. Yeah, at no, the time. I get that. So, yeah. Um, Something. <laughs> he was originally created to be a silent killer. They weren't going to have him talk. Oh, okay. You know, they uh, they were just going to have him. But I think it's like you were you were talking about. There's too many of those at the well, time. Well, right? what I'm saying is that's how he was. And even if you watch the movie, he only says like six lines, maybe. A couple lines, that. yeah. But um, it wasn't until you know the next movie became the cheeky serial killer that we you know yeah, that people that, love. That we actually know when you think of Freddy Krueger, you think of that version of him, and not so much. The very first generation of them. All right, right, Terrence. Pop quiz. Do it. Which hand is the glove on? Left hand. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I knew you would get it. Here's what's funny. I was like, I was like, it's his right hand, but maybe it's a trick question, so I'll say left. I'm over here going like this. You know what I mean? You're not made it. But uh, the first time Fred tried, uh, Robert England tried that glove on, he cut himself. Oh wow! Because he was, um, you know. And we'll get into a little bit of what the glove was made of here in a minute. But okay, yeah. You remember the iconic scene where, where uh, it's pretty much pretty much the first time you see Freddie, and he's like Nancy, and he's walking out down the uh, alley or whatever, and his arms oh, like yeah, go, yeah. They grow out, you know, and he's like hissing yeah. and scraping the thing. Those were actually uh, puppet arms, but oh. the guys had fishing poles. That's how they were rolling <laughs> to make them go out. That's I thought that was pretty cool. Um, also, he has an alternate voice in the trailer. Really? The movie trailer is an alternate voice that they were going to use, but they ended up changing it. Now, is that the trailer that we played at the beginning of It is. Nice. It took about three to four hours to get him into his makeup. And his special effects, David B. Miller based the makeup off of burn victim photographs he saw it in the UCLA burn care unit. Hmm. So. Yeah, doing doing, uh, that kind of of makeup, uh, just, I know it takes a while um, to get together. Uh, especially to do it well, uh, which was very well done, and so um, I, I can see how it can it can take forever. I mean, okay. you look in, you look into any character in any movie that that takes has is like covered in some kind of pain or whatever. It takes ages to get to. But but then again, I mean, this is eighty four. But like today, you would think there would be a way where they could CGI a lot of that on there now. To well, make it still it looks look, better. Look better. You well, know actually, I mean? it looks. Uh, you can you can argue that it looks that. Depends on what you're doing. So, and sometimes the CGI will look better, but at other times it's just better if you do the um, the prop and makeup, right? So you look at uh, like a character like Mystique, 
right? That it just it looks good painted on and not so much a CGI sort of effect. Um, but then you get any sort of like like let's say monster that they might have made a costume for back in the eighties, uh, but they'll just CGI now because they have the CGI for it. But then you also could look at what's the movie's budget? It might be just cheaper to budget in a costume or makeup versus CG. CGI is really expensive. But can I just say that the worst CGI I've probably ever seen in my entire life is The Rock as the Scorpion King at the end of The Mummy. That might be the worst CGI (laughs) I have ever seen in my life. It is so bad. And I'm surprised that he got any acting after that. You know what I mean? It's terrible. Just throwing Uh, that out there. I... I do like those movies. Though. I do too, but I'm just saying but, that was yeah, terrible. Yeah, that was bad. Really oh, bad. man. I mean, I was like, what am I watching? It looks like big old Kool-Aid man or something. Like, oh, no, I was man, like, I know. Um, this is the only Nightmare on Elm Street where he doesn't have the iconic stripes on the sleeves of his sweater. They're oh, not snap. on the sleeves. Yeah. So, um, and Robert England said that he based Freddy off Nosferatu the Vampire in 1979. Loosely based. So, um, now we're going to talk about the famous... Glove, Ooh, because glove. this is—I mean, this is like Jason's machete. This is like, uh, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, the mask that he wears. Yeah. Uh, this is what symbolizes Freddy. It's the glove, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Like you um, think of Freddy, you just on my immediately think of a the sweater, b the glove. Right. So I'm going to throw this in here real quick. This is uh, Wes Craven talking about the glove and how he came up with the idea of why he wanted to give him the glove. So take a listen to this. It was kind of a very logical process. Uh, you know, there were, at that time, there was Halloween and there was, you know, several other films that had featured uh, unusual instruments. And I was thinking, well, okay, what will it be? You know, chainsaw this or sickle or scythe or whatever. And uh, I said, well, take yourself, you know, from my academic background, I was, take yourself back to the earliest phenomenon that you can. And I thought, okay, take yourself back to primal man, to, you know, to mankind when he was not equipped with shields or weapons what what did he confront and it was you know tooth and claw so i literally said uh, i had read an article about how the cave bears would reach around through the crevices that early man would be hiding in and hook them out with these claws and i said well that's got to be buried deeply in the subconscious that whole idea of the claw so i simply put that onto what i thought was the most human instrument which was the hand you know which uh, i think is the one thing that we have that no other animal has quite equal and has led to so much of our civilization and mix those two elements. One of the deepest fears of any critter and certainly of human beings is being opened up that the skin is so so thin and it takes so very little to you know spill us out into the world and we our existence literally ceases at the at the merest uh, opening. So it, it's important in a way to in a horror film to um, to deal with that reality and I think that's why horror films so often go down to a slashing instrument. It is because that is the primal fear. All right. So as you heard, the glove is based upon a bear claw. Yep. Um, he he wanted to go back to like primitive man, and he was. If you'll hear him in the video talking yeah. about how so uh, or you primitive mean we man heard is, him already. Right. So <laughs> so if uh, you know the, if a primitive man was hiding behind a tree or something, and a yeah. bear could smell him, but he couldn't you know necessarily reach him. You know what I do? He would take his hand and come around with his claws and grab him and yeah. rip, him, rip him back around. So. Uh, the sparkling effect that was used uh, for the glove because it was hooked to a car battery. Oh, that's how they got wow. the sparkling effect. Yep. That's crazy. I'm surprised somebody didn't get electrocuted. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but the scraping noise was actually a steak knife under a chair. So they were just, you know. 
The knives were actually tomato knives, and it was actually model the case XXP10 uh, model. I will say, as far as the um, uh, what, what was the previous fact that you just read? The steak knife. So, so as far as uh, oh my gosh, I lost where my mind was going with this. Oh, that's all right. I know. It's <laughs> You're getting old. Like I, ha- I had a millennial had- problems. <laughs> It is now, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so hold on. So the the previous fact was I did uh, the sparkling the, effects with the battery, and yeah. then it was the scraping noise with a steak knife under the chair. Okay. So I remember where my thought process was going. So I'm surprised they didn't dub in the sound, and they decided to do the sound like while recording. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Or was it dubbed in? I don't know that. Okay. So I'm, it might have been dubbed in. Okay. So they might have just took. St- Dignized under a chair and then uh, edited in, in that dubbed right. over that sound. Okay, right. gotcha. This was the same glove that was used in the sequel Freddy's Revenge, and it was also in Evil Dead Two in nineteen eighty seven. Um, evil amazing. Evil Dead is seen in this movie. Nancy's watching it on TV, trying to stay awake. Yeah, and so Sam Raimi um, used the glove hanging on the in the by the door frame in the yeah. cabin as a tribute to let him use this in the movie. So. But the sad part about this is in um, episode three, you know, the uh, Dream Warriors. Yeah. Wes Craven let them borrow the glove and they lost it. Oh, no. They can't fight it. Did they, they lose they, it, though? Well, they are, they are <laughs> saying, uh, somebody said that it's in the possession of Freddy's agent, Robert Ingram's agent. But uh, they don't know for sure. I mean, after you get to a certain point and it, it's kind of cemented as sort of an iconic character, I wouldn't be surprised if someone took it. Right. Um, As a matter of fact, I I firmly believe that's probably what happened. Right. So I'm going to throw in this here at the end. Um, ET Online did an interview. They actually took the Heather Camp who played Nancy, and they took Robert Englund, who played Freddie. Yeah. And they took him back to the original house. Oh, wow. I think it's its 30th anniversary. So that was back in 2014. So uh, I'm going to play this here. It's about seven minutes long, but I thought it was really cool to see him. And they, they give a little cool little stories, you know what I mean? So take a listen to this. I'm Dave Weiner with ET Online, and we are here at the Elm Street House with none other than Robert Englund and Heather Langenkamp from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. How does it feel to be back here? It's strange because I'm looking at the Johnny Depp house across the street there at the same time. I imagine Johnny in the window calling like Romeo to his Juliet here in the upstairs window. I remember that night very well. We shot so much on this on this very front lawn here too. That's what I remember walking and prancing around these trees and trying to look scared. And it was the summer of the... Uh, we did more outside than inside yeah. because the inside often was a set. Mm-hmm. You know, So our location here was really spent outside a lot. The memories I have most are of Johnny climbing up that rose trellis and climbing in that window right there. And uh, I mean, that was all real and we did that here. Anything to do with the front porch and Marge getting sucked through the window, <laughs> we did that here. So... The memories here are actually some of my strongest. Once you get on the sound stages, you're working so in a, such a different way. I always find on the real place, you have kind of a slower and, I don't know, it's a more organic. The now. house is iconic as the glove or the sweater, you know, and, and I, I, I've seen them as big as, as five feet 
in diameter models of the home. I, you know, I, the first one I think I saw was popsicle sticks. Popsicle you know? sticks. And then and I now seen, they're constructed. Yeah, now art beautifully. Pieces. Yeah, done with foam and actually yeah. made. You know, like like a, uh, incredible stuff. Well, we're coming up on the 30 year anniversary of this incredible franchise. Oh my God. Did you ever think back <laughs> in 1984 that you would be? standing here 30 years later that this would go beyond one movie that you even finished the first shoot for the first film I, don't, I, I think we knew we were onto something good Heather towards the end there I think all of us kind of knew we made, we'd made a good film but I don't think any of us and I know I, you know, I don't think Wes did or, or any, anybody thought that this would be the iconic franchise that it's become you know and set the bar for uh, and certainly been uh, uh, imitated you know which I guess is a, a form of flattery um, just about more than any other horror film outside of you know uh, Dracula probably I, I was such a s- short-range thinker in those days. I think I just was so happy to have a job. And and uh, even when they called for the sequels, even you know the third one and then the seventh one for me, but certainly every sequel, I was always slightly surprised that they were going to go for one more round. It never really hit me that we had this franchise until like the third the third movie and uh, well, then Robert was making them every year, it seemed like. Well, I had gone to Europe to promote V and uh, I was there the same time that the, the first nightmare was taking off and it actually took off bigger there than it did here because i think new line just released it on the east coast originally whereas there it was all over the country in in the uk in, in great britain and i really could hear the jungle drums beating i mean i could really sense that it was something special your character is now among it's a modern day horror icon that must be a bit surreal to be Ranked up there with Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman. Well, it's an honor. You know, anytime a gentleman such as yourself or anybody else, you know, a journalist, puts me in the same paragraph or breath with Karloff or, or those gentlemen, I'm really honored, you know. Uh, and I, but I he think, deserves it. Well, He's you know, so you know good at that though? job. Well, he was so I think brilliant. It's that, it, I think it was a horror film for the last 20 years mm-hmm. of, the, of the 20th century, in the first 10 years. Uh, of the millennium, and I also think that um, I I reap that honor as a result of being a kind of logo for the entire experience of the entire franchise, all eight films. Mm-hmm. All of what they've done over the years to modify and to improve the makeup and the original concept by Wes that has carried that through, that's who I owe you know, 99% to. I brought the sort of physicality, mm. uh, you know, and, 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 but that, you know, and I dance him a little bit because he does sort of occupy this ether, this other world, this mm. subconsciousness <clears throat> of his potential victims. But, but let me also, it is the here. movies themselves that are, that, that are the reason that there's just so not big. that many actors who give themselves to their character in a way that Robert has, because I think a lot of people would look over 30 years and and be proud of the character they created. But Robert has actually gone so far beyond that in just the way he will be present for events so that he can satisfy the fans' desire not only to be with him and see him. He's so charming. I mean, it's 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 a way you can hear stories about these films. That's all people want is to feel closer. Well, well speaking of, of the fans and talking about the enduring nature of your character, your character, Nancy Thompson, you made a documentary about your character. Which I highly recommend. <laughs> no, I did because well, I had been traveling, you know, following Robert basically around the world, and I, I I just thought to myself, you know, Robert is this icon, and so where does that put Nancy? Is he? Is she? And how does she relate to this, uh, you know, icon? 
and what does that mean about America and, and you know, feminism and all those like big social questions that we ask about movies uh, from time to time. And so I tried to answer those questions and yeah, it's called I Am Nancy because I know only a small fraction of what it must be like for Robert when I go and, and have to, um, you know, always be talking about this character <laughs> and it's you know 30 years of talking about her so i decided to put something down on heather also celluloid an extraordinary documentary called never sleep again mm -hmm. probably my favorite moment of the entire film was when you want to get something signed by robert because you've never had anything signed before so right. you go around this convention and you find some pretty priceless items and just rip out the boxes <laughs> rip them open I know, everyone laughs so hard when they see that moment and so actually that was a really um genuine moment at that time i really was under the gun and i just wanted to get this freddy doll out and then the minute I started doing it, there was like shocked reactions around me. I realized that I had just done something really terrible. So we yeah. we made sure to really feature that horror of that moment of ripping open the pristine box. You watch American Pickers, they'll tell you. <laughs> Don't destroy the box. When when I go off, you know, to meet the fans or to do a Q&A or to go to a film festival now, it's 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 a huge event. It's really amazing and and it's wonderful. And it's not just that I want to get the love back or the free airline tickets. It's actually a real important demographic now that needs to be you know what's the line from Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman? Respect needs to be paid. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back home. Our loving. And uh, we really appreciate it, and we congratulate you on 30 years. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. Is that thank the Nightmare you. on Elm Street windmill over there? <laughs> Hi, I'm Robert England, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger. And I'm Heather Langenkamp, a.k.a. Nancy Thompson. And we're here at the original Elm Street house. For E.T. Online. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. So there you have it. Um, Terrence, give me your thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, Nightmare on Elm Street. I would say this movie is a bit exclusive for like deep horror connoisseurs just because of how iconic it is. Um, but outside of that, I couldn't really recommend this to anybody else. Um, and then even for horror connoisseurs, unless you find uh, sort of value in older horror movies... Um, uh, it, it's it's like you were saying earlier. Uh, it's, it's okay uh, for what it is, and it's, I be, I think the sequels are funner and better. Um, I enjoy the sequels more, particularly two. I really like two. Um, but as far as the first one, I also gave it a rewatch. Uh, I guess I just wasn't into it as much. I, I think it was it, it was a lot scarier and also a lot. Uh, um, it was seen through a different lens when I was younger, when I was a kid watching this. Uh, but watching it as an adult, I'm like, eh, it's all right. Right. But I'd uh, rather watch. I'd rather spend my time watching better older horror movies. You know? Right. Uh, that, that's pretty much my th my 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 thinking is um, when you're watching it. Uh, I guess when you're younger, it's always you know because there's always monsters in your closet or under your exactly, bed, yeah. and I think. That was the draw of Freddy that, oh, man, something can happen to me and if I fall asleep, you know. Because you've always heard that if you fall out of your bed, you're dreaming that you're falling out of the uh, – jumping out of a plane or falling off oh, a yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and you fall out of your bed, you die because you wake up when you hit – you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, all that used to stick in me when I was a kid. But this movie, um, after giving it a rewatch, it it really wasn't even that good. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean – 
the, and another thing I, I forgot to mention this, but there was actually creative differences in the ending. Um, the um, if you know the ending, you know um, once she turns her back on Freddy and he goes, "Ah, oh, get you," and he yeah. falls and he disappears. That's how Wes Craven wanted to end the movie. I believe it was Wes Craven that wanted to end the movie that okay. way, because he's like, "It's over. Once you turn your back on evil or you know your fear, you've conquered it." Yeah. But the uh, studio, whoever wanted to set it up for sequels, mm. so they yeah. wanted they wanted when the convertible pulls up. At the end, you know, yeah. and you know, and another fact is that when that convertible latch came down, it came down faster than anybody thought. So all those actions were like, whoa, and the, they yeah. kept it in there. Um, they wanted actually Freddie driving the car, you know, seen at the end. And then, you uh, know, you have yeah. the red stripes and, and green stripes on top of the car mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so then they set that up. So and then they set it up where her mom's up there. Freddie comes to the window and drags her through the little small window. Yeah. So uh, basically they had to compromise. Um, and have them both in there. Yep. Because if you remember the movie, the first one is, you know, so Freddie goes to grab her and she walks it. She's like, I want all my friends back. And my, yeah. You know, so she opens the door and all her friends are back. You know what I mean? And yeah. her mom's there because her mom had died. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to me, I guess I can appreciate it for what it was. But for me, it doesn't hold up. Like, especially even the, 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 the death scenes, if you will, in this yeah. aren't too. Extravagant, right? Yeah. But I'm not saying that you have to have a bunch of gore to enjoy it. Doesn't no, like but, like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, when that dude comes oh, on, yeah. knocks her on the head with that, you know what I mean, and just drags her back in there. You're like, oh man, you know Dog something's yeah. like holy. Crap. So 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 a lot of that stuff that you see, I think a lot of it, the stuff that you don't see is more scarier than the stuff you see. If that makes sense. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that it gets I, a I more of a reaction the, out of me. Exactly, and, and that's the core of of horror. Is when you think about it, because uh, the big, the biggest fear is fear of the unknown. So the less you show, the more scarier it is, because it's almost left up to the imagination to conjure up what that fear is, and it sort of becomes your whatever your biggest fear you think it is that you can the worst possible scenario in that situation you immediately think of, right? Right. When when you leave that up to interpretation instead of, hey, let's show it and blah blood everywhere. It's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, Robert Eaglin has or went on the uh, record saying that his favorite kill scene that he's done out of all of them is the uh, the one where the guy has the hearing aids. You know, oh, and he, yeah, he messes with yeah. them and blows his head off. Uh, for me, my personal favorite. Um, <laughs> it's weird that you have a favorite. Kills, oh, I know, right? <laughs> but it's the one where they're in like I think they're in that mental hospital, mm. and then he just takes and cuts the veins out of the guy. Oh, and he uses yeah, him like yeah. a puppet and makes him jump out the window. Yeah, I thought, wow, because you don't. You don't see that. You just see him walking down the hall like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you see him jumping out the window. So for me, I guess it was just, um, it was okay. I mean, to watch it once would be okay. Yeah. Because there is some cool scenes like where, uh, remember when Freddie got caught on, uh, caught on fire? She caught him on fire. Yeah. And then, he's, and then she goes, I got him. I got him. She goes, look. And you see those fire steps. Yep. That is pretty scary. And, and yeah, it goes absolutely. up the, it goes all the way up the stairs to his mom's room. And she basically, he basically kills his mom at that yeah. point. Or her mom at that point. So. So there you have it. That's a nightmare on Elm Street. So I'd say at least watch it once, uh, but don't put too much right, well, faith again, into it. I mean, yeah, I want to say if you, you would have to watch this to enjoy the sequels, of course, uh, absolutely. Just to uh, get the just whole to know broad. where this came from. Uh, but I would also say I stand by what I said before: is like if you're not a horror movie connoisseur or if you don't really enjoy horror movies, it's it's a pass at that point. Right. But if you do, check it out at least once. And to me, yeah. I like Jason. Voorhees better than I do him, and I even like Michael Myers better. And but the 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 scare movies in those movies are jump scares. Yeah, for the most absolutely. part, like they're they go into a cabin, 
and you don't see nothing. They shut the door, and he's behind the door with yeah. the machete, and you're like, oh, man. You know what I mean? And then you got that scary... Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it just sets the tone for the movies. So, Well, with that being said, this is your chance, ladies. We are actually breaking down we are taking our man card away for next week we are going to take and go a totally different direction with a genre we have not touched on in this podcast it'll be our first time we are going with a uh, predominantly ladies film yep uh one of the great love stories one of the all-time classics one of your guys's favorites that i've heard scream from the (laughs) rafters yes we will be going with the iconic Dirty, Dirty dancing, dancing with Patrick Swayze. So I know you guys are. I can hear you squealing already through the, through the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tackle that uh, next week. Um, also, we might have Kyle be coming back up doing They Live with Roddy Roddy Piper. If you oh, have not yeah. seen that science fiction movie, it's oh, fantastic. Please watch it. yes. Oh, it's fantastic. Has one of the best fight scenes. Right. So um, those are two movies that you should go ahead and watch so you can know what we're talking about. So I uh, hope you guys look forward to that and enjoy that because this is mine and Terrence breaking out of our comfort zone because oh, we're going to go with Dirty Dancing. And I just, I just remember as a kid having to sit through some of that stuff and I just hated <laughs> it with a passion. So, but we're going to do it justice. Cause I will say um, because this podcast, I'm actually going to have to watch it through. Uh, I've never seen the whole movie through. I never had an interest in it. Really? Uh, like, like there are some like sort of romantic movies or romantic comedies that I've seen all the way through and actually enjoyed uh, this one. I haven't, at least as far as like I haven't seen it was didn't ever catch my interest enough to be like, hold on, hold on, don't change the channel. I, I know you. I know you're talking about They Live, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, there is some exciting stuff going on. I don't. If you are on a if you're a Patreon supporter, you know what I'm talking about. There is some special stuff going on. Oh yeah. Some, by the way, some, no, some special okay. sneak stuff that only the Patreons get oh, no, to I see. Right I now. wasn't gonna spoil that. Right. right? But, but I'm just uh, saying, what I do want to release is if you do uh, give to our Patreon, you will get access to a, a secondary Facebook. It's the secret group. It's the secret. The group, double secret. Right? So the double secret group basically uh, will release a bunch of stuff that's for Patreon only. You get to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff, uh, and we're just putting cool content that will only be available if you're on a Patreon. So if you want to check that out, definitely check out uh, Tragedy of Cinema on Patreon, and we got some cool stuff going down. Right. So, um, and those of you that are on there, you already seen something that's pretty cool that's coming. It's not oh, yeah. finished yet. But I'm really excited. I showed Terrence, and he was like, oh, that's Super amazing. So excited. be prepared. Um, I'll release it to the Patreons first once I get the completed project, and then yep. um, I'll release it a couple days later to everybody else. So um, we got a couple other things. We're, uh, we might be putting up a, a post here in a little bit, a poll um, about on the Patreon uh, Facebook about what movie you would like us to watch along and do commentary on, kind of like this movie where we yep. could talk about it while we watch it. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, you can we'll find probably us. do that with like Kyle or, or someone else that we might bring. Right, in. right. Yeah. We, we'll watch the movie and, and just hit play, and we'll just go go to town. Yeah, and just have some. That fun. would be fun to do. They live. It would actually. How long is they live? I don't know, but it's still a good movie. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe the Titanic. <laughs> no, oh, maybe like four hours. Uh, no. So be on the lookout for that. Um, also, if you uh, would like to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, that helps us move up in the charge. Um, we're growing. I mean, we are in 14 countries right now and still growing. Yeah. Downloads are going up. So we're getting there. Um, but thanks for everybody that supports us and has been supporting us since the beginning. So tell a friend. Uh, let's keep this thing rolling. Also, if you would like to send an email, 
Uh, just talk about what the podcast means to you or whatever. The Tragedy of Cinema uh, at gmail.com, all one word. Yep. And uh, we'll we read would... off, uh, we like to read off reviews and stuff. We actually haven't had any new ones in a while. Right. We but... would love to read some stuff at the end of our, uh, <laughs> our podcast. So we, send we us did some have reviews, the one by Tim Mullins. I don't know if, if we're here for The Godfather or not. Um, it might be on the episode you haven't listened That's to right, that you weren't yeah. here. So you need to check those out. Um, if you'd like to be a special guest, um, or if you would like to interview, I know I'm still trying to set up. There was a lady that was going to be here for us for this. She couldn't make it. Um, she was going to try doing no sleep. And I said, that's Look. right. Yeah. I was like, don't worry about Get it. Get some sleep. I was like, I know Child's Play your, is your, one of your favorite movies. So yeah. we'll, uh, I said, we don't even have to wait till we record. Um, I can just call you and we can do an interview like we did Sam yeah. for Godfather. So that's what we're going to do for that when she has free time and she's rested. And yeah, all sure. So I didn't want to put her under pressure. We know how it is with <laughs> lack of sleep. Yeah. So. Um, uh, you can reach us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, search, search the Tragedy of Cinema podcast uh, group and Facebook. So with that being said, I believe that this episode is coming to a close. And that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut.